0: Heavenly Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I thank you for this gathering. I bless you for these people. Thank you so much for SPARK. And may we just do everything that we can to be fully your representatives here on earth, that we can build your kingdom here on earth, that we can be the exemplification of your love and your truth here on earth, as it is in heaven. So be with us, and we pray in your name. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen. For those of you who are new to Spark or maybe just visiting today because of what we're talking about, Spark is a place where questions are, are not only welcome, but they are required. Uh, to be a part of this community means wrestling, and we're going to share a little bit about that. And I want to make sure that you know that there is no question or inquiry that is not welcome and not accepted. When you're dealing with issues as significant as this, it behooves the church and people that are of faith to embrace and listen carefully and understand carefully the questions that are coming. So we are going to do our best to model that for you, and we hope to create a culture in which those questions are welcome. When I started preparing for this, this is a little bit of how I honestly felt. Where do I begin? When you're talking about the issue of sexual identity, and later on I'm going to share with you why we entitled it sexual identity rather than homosexuality or any other possible terms, there's, going to, there's a reason for that. I am deeply aware of the things that I am saying. I've prepared a lot for this. But I'm also deeply aware of the things that I'm not saying. A lot of those post-it notes had to come down off of the wall. And that just is simply because of time. When I first proposed this, it was a pretty much a four to six week series. And we decided, and I think uh, a good decision, was that we were going to just squeeze all of that into one night and then allow other conversations to continue on from here. So we're not going to be taking Sunday service time to cover this topic for the next four to six weeks but we also hope that the questions just continue. So I, I recognize what I'm saying. I recognize what I'm not, not saying. I want to just share with you, we're going to do some heavy lifting. Sometimes when you come to church, you come to be inspired. You come to be uplifted and encouraged, and I hope that definitely happens, but today is going to be heavy lifting. Today is going to be pushing your mind. You're going to be stretched. Uh, hopefully, you're going to be challenged. Um, we're talking about something that is deeply critical, um, But if you came to hear about the topic, I hope to share with you that we're actually not talking about the topic. We're talking about a lot more than just the topic, which is what makes this feeling so true and palpable for me. I also want to ask the question, some of you might have come here um, looking for something. Some of you might have come here with expectations. In the circles that I run in, a lot of people... Uh, share with me their thoughts and their opinions, and I hear rumors around the church kind of community and the Christian community, and they'll say things about what I believe or what I say, or they'll ask these questions, very pointed questions, about what SPARK really believes and what SPARK really stands for and try to get you pinpointed down. And I've always tried to step back away from that because I kind of realize there's a little bit of a threat that comes along with that. But I also want to recognize that some of you in this room might have actually come with that same expectation. Are you coming looking for confirmation of what it is that you believe? Some of you might have come because of the topic and you said, you know what? I'm looking for a church that's going to confirm what I already know, what I already believe, what I'm already convicted of in my heart. And I would just like to share with you that may not happen. You may be disappointed. Some of you might be coming to check Spark out, and whatever Spark says about this issue, ah, that's who they are, and you've got us nailed down. And some of you are coming looking for answers. Um, I did receive an email this week uh, in preparation that had the tone of, I really need to figure this out. And the tone in the email was, this issue is tearing my family apart, or it's something that I'm personally struggling with, and I just don't know what to do with it. I really need some answers. So, if you're looking for confirmation, if you're looking for categorizing spark, if you're looking for answers, I'm going to let the most brilliant movie in the world answer that question for you. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Hey. And I kind of love the submission of like, okay, I'll get used to disappointment. (laughs) Let's go on. And I'd love for you and for myself, honestly, to feel a little bit of the same. We may be a little bit disappointed. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm already disappointed at what I've prepared because I know already what I've left out and what else needs to be said. But in light of that, we're going to keep moving forward because of the seriousness of the issue. I also want to acknowledge and recognize that some of you in this room and some listening to this talk are actually concerned. Uh, The Supreme Court decision on June 26, 2015 of Burgerfell v. Hodges uh, was, um, no doubt, one of the most significant Supreme Court decisions when it comes to religious uh, ideas and ideals, uh, civil rights, etc., and um, I just want to recognize that there are some listening to this who actually have legitimate concerns about what that means for religious liberty, what that means for freedom, what that means for all of those questions. And I just want to acknowledge that. I just want to state that that's a real thing. Um, And if you haven't actually read the decision that was handed down, it's 120 pages, um, but I would encourage you to go and read it. Because there uh, there is a majority opinion of the five. But there's also a minority opinion of the four. And the minority opinion of the four was actually also quite moving and quite telling. And whenever you get to a Supreme Court decision, oftentimes we walk away thinking one side won and one side lost. But whenever you get to a 5-4 decision and when you read what the dissenters are saying, um, I personally walk away sometimes feeling, I don't know if anybody really won sometimes. So while we have that decision, and that's now law of the land, um, I also want to recognize for those of you who are concerned about what that means for religious liberty, we acknowledge that tension here too. We recognize that this is a very real thing, and reading the dissent of that opinion is also very important. So I want to just acknowledge in the midst of all of this an apology of inadequacy. What we're going to do today is going to be the very best that I think we can do to start and to initiate conversation, but I'm going to let you down. I'm probably going to get a couple things wrong. I might even say a couple things that might offend or might be a little bit off of what you might expect. Uh, I've done everything that I can in preparation for this to be responsible with my own personal study and responsible with putting together a presentation that I think is going to be helpful, educational, encouraging, etc., Uh, I take this very seriously, and I present this to you with that gesture and ask for you to extend to me and to us as a church community um, some graciousness. So throughout the talk, these are some of the emotions that may pop up every now and then. And I'll say something, you're like, no, or you want to pull your hair out, or like, la, 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 I can't hear that word, that's not a word that I want to hear. Whatever it is, whatever emotion that might be welling up within you, let me just share. We do our best. We're not perfect. We do our best for whenever we get to issues and topics like this to actually lean in and try to listen a little bit better. Try to understand a little bit more. Try to recognize and be aware and have some introspection about the emotions that are residing within our own hearts. And take even that and say, okay. God, what do I do with that? And how do I manage and navigate through? So let's get started on a couple, uh, well, continuing with the talk before the talk. Here are a couple things that I think are really critical and really important for us to understand before we even get to the talk. Now, over the last, I don't know, decade, I've listened to probably hundreds, um, dozens to hundreds of sermons and books and articles on the issue of sexuality and religion, faith, the Bible, etc. And the vast majority of them, not all, but the vast majority of them begin the talk by saying, this is an issue that is important for the future of the church, for our theology, etc. And the problem that I have with this is, as I've been wrestling with this, This, to me, I don't think is the right approach. This is really not about issues. This is first and foremost and fundamentally about people's lives. And when you start to read the stories and listen to people and start to engage in real, honest, intimate listening relationships with the people around you, you know immediately that for the people that this issue affects, it's not an issue. This is their soul. This is their life. And in many ways... It's an issue of life and death for them. So as I've listened to some talks regarding um, what the Bible says and how how we're going to stand for our rights, the thing that I feel is often lost that I want to say loud and clear that we recognize that we can call it an issue if you want, but fundamentally for me, this is about people. This is about brothers and sisters who have really struggled, who have really suffered, Uh, whether you're gay or straight, actually, families and children, all of us have been affected by this, and we're going to put some faces to this. Um, That's what part three is actually going to be about. So based upon this idea, I'm super excited about talking about this and sharing about this, but I'm also very sober-minded about it. It, it excites me because as a, somebody who's gotten into the ministry vocationally, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, um, I get excited because anything that we get to do that affects people's lives, your, how you are accepted within a community, how your identity is shaped, all of that, that excites me to be able to be a part of that, and how faith and how Christ and how God and the Bible all participate in that but I'm also very sober-minded about it because every now and then I might say something that I was unaware of or didn't realize how that was going to come across. And instead of that just being, oh, I happened to get some data wrong, I might actually do something that would hurt a friend of mine, a brother or sister. So again, I offer that to you in, in that sentiment. So with that, it seems appropriate also to begin with an apology an apology of repentance and an apology of empathy. The apology of repentance is to say that including myself, um, because I'm very aware of my past, my history, the things that I've taught in cassette tapes that have recorded my talks that I will not share with you ever again. (laughs) So I recognize and want to apologize, but I also want to apologize in the sense of empathy to say we recognize that there are stories of suffering and pain and hurt brokenness, confusion, and we want to feel with you. Um, several months ago, Spark actually went through a series on the incarnation. And the incarn- one, of, one of those talks was about the, how the incarnation is about how a God comes down and feels and carries your pain and your suffering with you. So I want to apologize to anybody who happens to be a part of the LGBT community um, on both of those ends. Repentance for things that have been said, left unsaid, or things that have been done. Legislation that has been pushed through governmental houses that have offended, that have hurt, that have treated you like second-class citizens. Um, And then an apology for, we feel and we want to feel more of what it is that you've gone through. There's a second apology, however. It's to those of us who may not be in the LGBT community. We don't identify in any of those ways. We're part of the church. We grew up. We knew exactly what it is that we believed. And we've taught that, promoted it, shared that with our family and our friends. And somewhere along the line, we come to a realization that, wait a second, Maybe there's a different way to have this conversation. Maybe there's a different way to talk about this. And maybe there's a different way to believe about these things. We owe you an apology too. Because your reputation, the things that have come out of your mouth that you regret or the ways that you have behaved in which you now feel sorry, we take ownership in that too. So there's a lot of apologies to go around. This particular image is taken from a campaign by the Marin Foundation. I'll share with you his website at the very end. It was entitled the I'm Sorry Campaign, and the Marin Foundation is a group of evangelical Christians, uh, gay or straight, that just simply want to go uh, be the presence of apology to all sorts of different uh, communities, uh, events, such as the Gay Pride Parade in different cities, and they just have t-shirts that say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and so you can look them up and they're still a little bit active, and so I just want to offer that as well as we begin and get started. I also want to offer up to you that what we're doing today, and again, the, the last message that I heard, uh, the tone of the pastor was, this is what I believe, this is what you believe, and now this is what we need to defend. And what I'd like to share with you is that I'm not quite sure we're going to do that so well today. Some of you, again, are going to be disappointed about that. But what I hope that we do today is that we model what it means to be in dialogue With people who don't believe what you believe, who don't hold to your convictions, who don't have the same emotions that you do. And I hope that we enter into a dialogue that is honest and respectful. And dialogue just simply means to think or to logic together. And as soon as I put out a position or as soon as I state something very clear, I immediately categorize you in one place and me in another. And anything that you ever say now is just filtered through, oh, you must be wrong, you must be wrong, you must be right. And anything I say, I must be right, I must be right, I must be right. And so today, what we're going to do is try to model what it looks like to actually be in dialogue, not necessarily to debate the dogma. Another thing I'd like to offer you is the question how big is our God? How big is our God? people who are critics have a tendency to evaluate others really according to some established standards. And honestly, they measure other people up to see, do you measure up to this rule that I have? And I suppose that's fine. But when you start engaging in faith, the kind of Christian biblical faith of Jesus, of the prophets, of Moses, of Paul of the people that have come before us, you start to realize that the God that shows up to them is often bigger, more expansive and explosive, more disruptive than what it is that they thought or they expected. And so as we get started to chat about this, we're going to ask the question, how big is our God? And we're going to suggest maybe God is actually bigger than our doubts, our questions, our opinions, our dogmas, and even our theology. And that's hard, because our theology sometimes is the thing that we measure everything against. And so if God is even bigger than that, or more explosive, or even bigger than that, then what are we left with? So those are some big questions. In the midst of this argument, in this discussion, there are a lot of camps. There are a lot of sides. There are a lot of others, and there are a lot of enemies. And one of the other things that I'd like to suggest for all of us as we get started is that the enemy actually here for us is not the person that believes different from us. The enemy is actually fear. The enemy is actually ignorance. And the enemy is actually hate. These are fundamentally the things that we're fighting against. These are fundamentally the things that are going to destroy us. These are the things that are fundamentally going to strip us of our integrity and any sense of coming to understand or know the truth. And if we live by fear and ignorance and hate, there's almost no hope for any growth, maturity, and then carry that down. What does the faith of Christianity look like in this world if this is what drives us? So, welcome to SPARK. (laughs) Glad you're here. We're about provocations we hope that today is the beginning and i emphasize beginning this is not the end and again the some of the sermons that i listen to they get to the amen at the end of their sermons like okay that's it conversation over no for us the amen at the end of whatever talk we give today is just now the beginning of a lifelong journey and joy of wrestling discovering conversing all of that so we're going to provoke some questions, and I hope that at the end of this and through this, you don't walk away with more categories of me or of spark, but you walk away with some more questions, maybe a new perspective, and maybe even a greater love, a greater sense of how we do faith and how we follow Jesus in this world. And another way that I like to sum it up is what I call the Tevier Principle. I promise you, Rebtevya, your daughter will not starve. Ah,
1: he's beginning to talk like a man. On the other hand, what kind of a match would that be? With a poor tailor? On the other hand, he's an honest hard worker. But on the other hand, he has absolutely nothing. On the other hand, things could never get worse for him. They could only get better. (laughs) They gave each other a pledge unheard of, absurd. They gave each other a pledge unthinkable. But look at my daughter's face. She loves him, she wants him. And look at my daughter's eyes, so hopeful. Tradition! Well, children, when shall we make the wedding? Thank you, Papa. Oh. Rev. Tevia, you won't be sorry. You won't be sorry. I won't be sorry. I'm sorry already.
0: Thank you, Papa. Thank you. I hope some of you feel that. It's okay to be pulled in a lot of different directions. Because honestly, there's a lot of truth, validity, understanding on both sides of this, and it's okay to like, ah, (laughs) I'm sorry already. (laughs) I would like for you to give yourself permission to change your mind, and it's going to be okay. Why? We've been here before, and we will be here again. Consider all of this. Consider the vast majority of the issues of, well, all of these issues, and how we deal with all of them, This is not the first time we've come to a crossroads, and it won't be the last. And I also want you to consider deeply and carefully, please hear this, what are the real-life implications of people not changing their minds on a lot of these issues? So we're going to do a little bit of a spiritual discipline to get you warmed up. I need you to repeat after me. Are you ready? Repeat after me. I I. might be Wrong. Wrong. Feel better? (laughs) I might be wrong. And isn't that the whole point of humility? Of searching for truth, understanding, and of listening to our brothers and our sisters. I want to close this segment, and I got to move quickly, with a question from this uh, gentleman by the name of Joel Barker. In his book, Paradigms, he writes about business. But this question just has driven me. What is impossible to do, but if it could be done, would fundamentally change your business? Now, he's talking about industries such as the iPod and technology and transportation. Um, Tesla's like a part of that, like what is impossible to do, but if we could do it, it could radically change everything. This is a question that I've actually applied to the church. What is impossible to do in the church, in faith, in Christianity, but if it could be done, it would radically change everything? And I feel when it comes to the issue of sexual identity and hermeneutics and the Bible and faith, this is what feels impossible to me. It feels impossible to have people in the room who hold to very different and distinct opinions, ideas, philosophies, and perspectives, and theologies, to be in the same room together, to disagree with one another, to come to different conclusions and not separate and not split. And part of the stories that I've heard over the past couple years are churches massively splitting over this issue, families splitting over this issue, and the people that you are in community with, the people that are supposed to provide for you the encouragement and the support for the times when you go through difficult issues are now separated and split. And I feel strongly that, I just feel so compelled that as I watch this from afar and up close, I feel like this is impossible to do. I feel like what I'm asking you to do is impossible. I want you to sit in the room with somebody who doesn't agree with you. I want you to sit in the room with somebody who holds a completely different opinion than you and I don't want you to leave. That feels impossible to me. But if it could be done and we could sit with that tension and learn to listen and allow that other person's perspective to influence yours, to grow you, to mature you, that would change everything. And then we can go together in what it is that we need and want to do. Okay, so that's the talk before the talk.